Hey everyone, and welcome to The Rational Republican, a podcast where we look at complex issues facing us here in Oregon and around the nation. We'll try to address issues from a nonpartisan perspective and view our disagreements through a lens of respect rather than tribalism or divisiveness. I'm James Ball. This is Nick Perlosky. Hey listeners, how we doing? So in this episode, we have Jeff Eager. Jeff is former mayor of Bend and political consultant here. And so this is the third of three podcasts that we're recording today, August 10th. So I don't know when this one's going to air, but uh, this is probably a month or six weeks old by the time listeners are are listening to it. The so, important thing is I'm still wearing my beaver shirt. Still wearing the beaver Go shirt. Beavs. Still Go Ducks. An excuse yeah. to talk about Go that. Ducks. Go Ducks. <laughs> <laughs> so Jeff, welcome, welcome to the show. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So what made you decide to get into politics and run for mayor and win as mayor? Yeah, uh, good question. Um, I've always been a really nerdy person in general and especially into politics and history when I was from a really young age and always read about it and, you know, majored in politics and history in college. Uh, Some like university of phoenix itt whatever trade school you went to. yes yes the, the, <laughs> the salem branch of itt of university. yeah yeah uh, yeah yeah they they put quotes around the word degree so i don't is that a good thing or bad thing? um mayor eager is a duck which is diametrically opposed to my t-shirt yes, today yes um whatever pittsburgh so um so then i um after college, I went to Washington, D.C., worked for Greg Walden for four years, uh, and then came back to Oregon, went to law school at U of O, and still was always interested in politics, obviously worked in politics directly on Capitol Hill for four years. So once I got back here to Bend and was practicing law, it was something that I kind of wanted to try, and uh, and so decided to to give it a whirl and ended up winning a city council seat, and then the way the system here worked at the time was that the council elected the mayor. So I won a council seat and then they voted me mayor. And I was uh, on the city council during the worst recession uh, that Bend has had in at least 30 years. Fun. And that was my fault. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> of course. So that's, uh, that's now one of two things that I'd be really curious to ask about is what do you feel are the differences and what do you feel are the benefits or the cost of switching from the now former way of selecting a mayor, somebody Mm -hmm. who was on city council Mm -hmm. versus now it's, you know, it's just a vote. Yeah. I think it's better the way it is now. Uh, And I, when I was on council, I supported moving toward this type of system we have now. Um, And we've only gone through one cycle of an elected mayor so far. Mm -hmm. So Bend had its first elected mayor race last year. I think it's better because it helps to tie people to their elected officials and uh, helps, I think, magnify, I guess, clarify the kind of lines of authority and lines of accountability between the people and uh, their the top elected official in the city. And uh, and I think that's uh, that's a better way to do it. That's fair. That's we had one guest, and I'm honestly frankly kind of partial to this opinion as well but we had a guest who was very pro repealing the 18th amendment the direct election of senators yeah and in favor of letting the state legislatures or right. whomever choose their right. their senators and there's part of me that says well obviously now you're one step away from the people so these guys are going to be right guys women are going to be far less accountable but at the same time there's people who vote who are just 
dummies sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> who, who is it that said the greatest argument against democracy is five, five minutes, minutes with com- the average voter? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was who, a yeah. Churchill. I think it was Churchill. Yeah. 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 And that the 18th Amendment thing is a little different because the – you know, when they set up the Constitution, the idea behind the Senate was to protect states, right? So, mm-hmm. so that's why they were senators were initially uh, appointed by or elected by the state legislators, uh, was in order to kind of keep that line of uh, of authority between the state and the in the senators. So, a little different with the Ben City Council, but yeah, definitely different thoughts about both of those oh, issues. There it is. Got it. So. You're former mayor, political consultant. Any plans to uh, get back in as a as a candidate or run for something else in the future? Uh, if I do, it'll be quite a ways in the future because we have. Uh, so while I was mayor, I got married. Uh, I got married pretty late in life, um, and uh, we have two young boys who are four and three right now, and so. Uh, one of the things that uh, anyone who's worked with elected officials or has been an elected official, one of the things that is becomes instantly clear is that it takes a lot of time and it doesn't pay um, mm-hmm. well at all if you're doing it the right way. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think there are ways to make money. There's a way. Yeah. So, um, so it just we're you know I'm working on raising kids right now, and we'll see once they're older. I might take a look at doing something again. Got it. Makes sense. Uh, so I'd be curious. So first off, I sincerely apologize. I misspoke. It was the 17th Amendment is the direct election of senators. 18th Amendment is prohibition, which I'm also very strongly <laughs> yes. in favor of repealing, <laughs> yes, which we did as a country. Yeah. Big ups to us, America. But for the, you know, the one listener who was, I might, you know, Xander, <laughs> somebody's going to fact check me on that one. Like I beat you to the punch, man. Sorry. Um, but so, so actually one of the things that had come up in another conversation was, I feel that the disconnect between Oregon at the federal level in terms of GOP politics and Oregon at the state level in terms of GOP politics is palpable. There, there's a distance there that is, is just not breached. And I admire and respect Congressman Walden for the work that he's done. And I like, I think he's got a great shot to be next speaker of the house. I don't think Kevin McCarthy wants to do it. If he's still around in two years, four years, six years, eight years, when the Republicans get the house back, I think he'd have a good shot at a line to it. But I don't know that from a lot of the people that we've spoken with here on this podcast, a lot of the people we've conversed with just in our day-to-day lives, I don't know that he has done a lot of work in terms of building up the state party. Uh, do you feel that there's Oregon in D.C. and Oregon at a state level? Do you feel that there's any bridges that could be built between the two? Do you feel that if somebody ran for CD5 or CD4 and won as a Republican that somebody could – you know, there'd be more staff back here in the home state, anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that Greg Walden has done a lot of, I wouldn't call it, call it party building. So it's not working with the ORP, which in my opinion is a waste of time anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but he's done a lot of infrastructure building over here. So in his district, he's done a lot of infrastructure building, gotten involved in a lot of state legislative races, gotten involved in even local races here in Bend and elsewhere. So he he is really pretty deeply involved in what you would call, I think, party building, even though it's not necessarily in the name of a of a party. Okay. Well, that's hey, that's good news because I he's he's the dean. We've got no Bob Packwoods, no nope. Gordon Smiths, no Tom McCalls, nope. no no anybody like that. So he's the yeah. guy, and obviously, unfortunately, 
you know, Bud didn't win. Newt hasn't won. Alan Alley hasn't won. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, if you elected one or two more uh, Republicans from over in the Valley uh, to the House, U.S. House, um, that would, you know, provide more, I guess, ground cover for uh, lower ranking Republicans running in Oregon. I think mm-hmm. it would provide more. Uh, hopefully more examples to people in the Valley that a Republican can get elected and not be a total weirdo. Um, <laughs> now that would assume that the person elected isn't a real weirdo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've gone that route before. Yeah. With some of those candidates. Well, Wes Cooley, who held the Greg seat uh, before Greg, he, yeah, he definitely fit the weirdo. Uh, <laughs> well, so you mentioned the ORP. What do you think that the ORP can do to make itself, uh, a more influential organization? Or do you think that 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 role is better filled by someone like Greg or maybe the caucus or or is it just electing somebody? Or just electing somebody, yeah. Yeah, I think it – I think the ORP – and you guys would be closer to them than I am by choice. Uh, (laughs) um, Maybe. it, they would benefit a lot. The state party would benefit a lot by having an elected Republican governor or even an wow. elected Republican senator because then you've got kind of a figurehead for the party at this you know statewide party um, and hopefully someone who starts kind of calling the shots for them because right now – they ought to stop wasting their effort trying to recall Kate Brown um, because that's not going to work. And even if it did work, I think the better argument is that uh, Tobias Reed becomes governor and then you've got a younger non-term limited Democratic governor instead of an older term limited and pretty weak governor. Um, So I'm personally in agreement that I think it would be a much better use of the state party's time to try to drive that focus into something like uh, a nonpartisan redistricting commission or mm-hmm. something that a would have substantial benefit in terms of having more fair elections, having a, a more representative legislative body of what the, the actual citizens of Oregon want in their legislators, a and B has a much higher probability of passing. Mm-hmm. Is there, if you were, if you were involved with the state party right now, is there anything that you see as a, a tangible thing that they could do between now and the start of the next election season when, you know, they'd start getting calls from press again. So I think there's two kind of issues. One is thematic and one is kind of strategic or tactical, I guess. And thematically, I think that, I think that the, the Democrat leadership in the state has handed uh, Republicans a, an enormous opportunity by severely overreaching in this last legislative session. And, um, and, that is a golden opportunity and the type of opportunity that quite frankly we haven't had in this state in a in a very long time and so the theme has to be around that right it has to be around the overreach and it has to be around the fact that okay these guys said that they were they were so hard up for money that they needed to raise every tax they could get get their hands on and they were successful in many regards in that way and then lo and behold the the public employee unions get fifteen percent a fifteen percent raise once they sure. uh, once they they get that money and <laughs> uh, and by the way the public employee unions are the ones that fund the Democrats in, into no. office so no connection there whatsoever yeah no <laughs> it's not a quid pro quo though right um, no of course not and and on cap and trade 
the overreach, which was so severe that they lost what I think 17% of the, their Senate caucus wouldn't vote for it because it was so extreme and would have jacked gas prices through the roof almost immediately, it really impacted day, the day-to-day lives of Oregonians in a way that they would have felt right away and all for a non-recognizable change in the rate of climate change even by the most optimistic standards. So the opportunity we have is that the Democrats are not focusing on the issues that most Oregonians care about on a daily basis. And they're not focusing on them in a way that actually solves any of those problems. They're doing the bidding of their special interests. And Republicans need to need to tell people that, and they need to take advantage of that and talk about the issues that that your regular someone living in Beaverton who's a non-affiliated voter um and you know is kind of moderate on most things and just is kind of tired of paying a lot in taxes and uh, doesn't want to pay more for gas and all this other stuff focus on what that person cares about and make the argument to that person and that person I'm sure doesn't care about removing a governor that that person may have just voted for right mm-hmm. to be frank so that's thematically you've got to focus on the stuff that that's there for us to to focus on and i think i think strategically the thing to do is to turn that energy that timber unity energy and kind of the just the rural revolt energy that exists right now into local action right so it's a it's a great boon to candidate recruitment it's a great boon to fundraising it's a great boon to volunteer recruitment and that's that energy should be should be focused at the local level throughout the state to build up infrastructure that can identify candidates to run in the next cycle whether it be uh, for state legislature or even city council school board whatever bring these people up through the ranks get the money to do it and get the volunteers to support them doing it it doesn't get the headlines Right. Like a recall Kate Brown does, but it is and it's hard. It's hard to do diffuse local mm-hmm. infrastructure building. Mm-hmm. But that's where the that's what need what needs to happen. And that's what should happen rather than squandering the energy on something that's not going to work. Sure. Shifting gears a little bit. I'm curious about House District 54. So this is, I believe we're, we're in it. I'm not sure where the lines are drawn. But Actually, we're in 53, just oh, barely. Yep. Just barely. <laughs> I live okay. in 54, but the office here is in 53. Got it, got it. So kind of mentioned this with Newt Bueller this morning a little bit, but 54 is, registration-wise, is mostly Democrat. Yep. And yet, almost all of the past few legislators coming out of the district have been Republican. What do you think is being done differently in House District 54 that we could, the rest of the state could emulate? Besides Nathan Bodie. Besides yeah. Nathan Bodie. Well, yeah, but that was a, that was an isolated incident. I mean, Newt did it for for two terms. Um, Helt is now one. But if you go back even further than that, it's District 54 has been Republican for a while. I think mm-hmm. that I think I was looking it up. I think eight of the last nine mm-hmm. terms yep. has been a Republican out of this. Yeah, so I I think it's there's a couple factors there. Um, one factor is that while the Democrat registration major advantage in fifty four is significant now, that is a recent development. So mm-hmm. City of Bend, which isn't the same as fifty four, but it's close, uh, that swung plurality Dem in two thousand eight during the Obama race. Mm-hmm. So 
before that, it had been Republican forever. So before 2008, it was essentially a Republican district. Hmm. Um, so those Republicans who won, like Tim Canope used to hold 54, uh, those Republicans who won were running in a mostly Republican district. Since then, um, I think there's been a couple factors. One is strong candidates. Republicans have traditionally been very successful in recruiting uh, strong candidates. So Chuck Burley was a good candidate. He had served on the park board here was relatively well-known, pretty moderate guy, knew politics because he'd worked in politics before. Then you kind of, we went through Judy Stiegler, who was the one Democrat of the of the nine, uh, and she got wiped out after one term. And then you had Jason Conger, very capable guy, smart, smart guy, like definitely kind of more capable than your average state legislative uh, candidate. And, Harvard guy. Yeah. Yeah. Harvard, Harvard law. Yeah. Hmm. Um, which isn't quite as good as U of O law. You use them in the same sentence. Yeah, I know. It's like, like, yeah, it's pretty much the same. It's all right. It's not bad or anything. No U of O. U of O has a better football team. (laughs) (laughs) Even the old Beaver, old Nick here, I'll give you that one. (laughs) Uh, And then, then, of course, you know, having someone of Newt's caliber running in, in a state rep seat, that's, unusual you know so that was good uh sherry also really good candidate strong roots in the community fits the profile if you're going to be a republican running in 54 her profile is a good one and but she also got lucky last time yeah Um, and uh having two lefty folks flame out horrifically during the general election was very fortunate because in 2018 Republicans did very poorly here, as they did throughout Oregon. And I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure the race would have ended up the same way had uh, had those candidates not flamed out. So for our listeners who may not be up to speed on the <laughs> minutia of Oregon politics, we just talk a little bit about what happened. So David is first name. David Bodie? Nathan. Nathan, Nathan Bodie. Yep. Sorry, I screwed that up. Nathan Bodie, the Democrat opponent to Sherry Held has brought up on sexual assault or sexual misconduct allegations. The Democrat Party actually asked him to step down. He did not. So what they did is they then tried to run a working party's candidate instead, who then got in trouble for college, (laughs) lied on the voters pamphlet. So, yeah, both of these. So not only did they cannibalize their own vote, but they both had these like crazy things happen to them that. Yeah, yeah, like you said, she yeah. she did get uh, Newt is fundraising for Sherry. He's mm-hmm. I've seen several posts from him about that, and so I think this is going to be a battleground district coming up in next year. It's the understatement so, of the year, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dem- Democrats are going to come for this one. I think yeah. they're they're going to try and get a uh, a walkout proof majority in. They so what, what do you call that then? Do. A super, super, super majority? <laughs> yeah. Is that what that super is? Super ultra I, mega I majority. <laughs> I mean, at that point, you don't even need to show up. Yeah, the Republicans then the Republicans just stay at home. Just stay at yeah. home yeah. and, yeah. and that would be a disaster. Yeah. For, so, I, you know, I'd actually be curious. And, uh, you know, obviously the two things that were just discussed, I misconduct ethical allegations and straight up lying to the voters that those are two obvious things that make a weak candidate what (laughs) again let's let's talk about understatement understatement of the year yeah Uh, what is it in your mind that you just mentioned that a a lot of the candidates who have come through here have won because they're strong republican candidates what is it in your mind that makes a strong candidate you know i think it's um honestly a lot of the characteristics that make 
someone's successful at, at anything. Okay. So intelligence, uh, be, the, the ability to articulate your thoughts in a way that makes people like you, a, a strong work ethic, and also a, a what's really important is that they're at a point in their lives when it makes sense to do it. Right? Okay. So you, uh, because the, the family situation, the work situation, it all needs to line up so that a candidate can focus all the energy that they can on the race. And, and so I think those are the big, honestly, and, and it's kind of boring. It's not like, okay, well, you, you have this policy makeup or whatever, and that's important too. But I think that fundamentally the most important stuff is, you know, are they capable? Are they focused? Do they have the time? and energy to put into this endeavor, which is going to be one of the hardest things they've ever done in their lives. Well, I, you know, I think we're going to promo this episode with a big sexy reveal of we have the magic secret sauce to <laughs> candidates to get you to win whatever race. But, Don't be dumb and lazy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Well, no, and I, I mean, I personally, I, I very much agree with all of that. I definitely think that there are a, there is a dearth of, <laughs> chutzpah filled Oregonians, Oregonians, Republicans who are capable of drawing out emotion and putting good policy in, in the language that can be received well by purple moderate centrist voters, mm -hmm. which, you know, like it or not, that's what our state is full of. We have, you know, we have some deep red seats. We have some really deep blue seats too. And it's, you need to be relevant in those places. And I mean, that's kind of the genesis of this podcast yep. is let's start speaking the language that we need to speak to win some of these elections well i think i've run out of my prepared questions again so first the computer crashes before before we even I turn know. the mics on and now now we're just we got nothing going on um well so i so well well james sends some texts or whatever goes on <laughs> tinder does whatever you got to do with your phone there whatever you're working on uh, I'd be curious, are there any, uh, name names if you want to name names, but are, are there any seats that you're focusing on? Are there any races that you're focusing on where you think Republicans have either have lost ground and can gain ground back, or you think that we can, you know, really take over some of the, some of where the Democrats have overreached, like mm -hmm. to your point that yeah. you just mentioned? So over here in Central Oregon, which is where I do most of this stuff, uh, we're fortunate in the sense that they're all Republicans, right? At the state level, the state, state rep, state senator, mm -hmm. they're all Republicans right now. So it's a matter of holding on to those, uh, those seats, okay. um, right now. I think that that we've lost significant ground in, at the local level, city council, school board stuff like that that's an area of of focus um that needs to improve and something that we're working on pretty hard uh right now the i think that statewide you know the the thing is going to be those suburban districts right i mean that's going to be largely what decides mm -hmm. what level of super duper majority the democrats may or may <laughs> not have in in the next session and i think that your what you said, Nick, about having Republicans that have the ability to kind of combine a knowledge of the issues, the ability to articulate it, and an emotional investment in what what they're saying, I think we lack that right now. And I think we've lacked it for a while. And I think when we get there, if we get there, 
I think that 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 those candidates, that candidate is going to have a lot of stuff to talk about because the, at the state level, what the Democrats have been trying to do, which is essentially systematically to allocate, deprive or suck as much money and decision-making authority out of the hands of the people in the state of Oregon Mm -hmm. and deposit it with legislators and really, frankly, mostly bureaucrats in Salem. It's been going on for decades and it's accelerating and it certainly accelerated in the last, in the last cycle. It's not working. You know, you look at things from the Oregon health plan website debacle to, Mm. you know, the Columbia river crossing, the Columbia river (laughs) crossing. We had a bridge. You guys may not even know about it. There was ODOT was building a bridge, um, over Highway 97 down in Lapine called Wikia Crossing or whatever, and they uh, they misengineered it. The state misengineered it, and so they had they spent millions of dollars on it. Had to tear it down, Ugh. and it's kind of like that, that. So that kind of thing, which was it, it made the news over here, mm-hmm. but it wasn't a statewide scandal because it's just well, it's only a few million dollars or like eight million dollars rather than hundreds of millions of dollars. And that's kind of where the level of incompetence that <laughs> we've been conditioned to expect. So these these smaller ones uh, uh, don't really even create a blip on the radar. If you look at what those policies are doing to housing prices, I mean, there's mm-hmm. a direct nexus between the Oregon's land use system and the fact that housing is so expensive here relative relative to wages. Um, you look at how the 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 regulatory structure in this state is driving businesses out. That this new gross receipts tax is going to be really bad for a lot of businesses. And that whole approach to things where people are just struggling to make it here in a lot of cases. I mean, here in Bend, it's really expensive to live. Portland, it's really expensive to live. A lot of other places around the state, it's really expensive to live in large measure because of these state policies. And the the solution to those issues lines up directly with what Republicans should be talking about, which is take some of that power away from those bureaucrats and away from those legislators and put it back in the hands of the people in small businesses that actually are in our communities and know how to do things and spend that money better than uh, than the people in Salem. Mm-hmm. Something that I was talking about on one of the other podcasts is the platform, the the ORP platform, which everyone, all the Republicans in Oregon are supposed to be following and supposed to be invested in. I think people, general voters, are they resonate with conservative principles. They resonate with smaller government, less interference, more freedom, lower taxes. They re- But if you look at the platform, it's like 80% social issues. And I think that turns a lot of people off. And then we've got President Trump who says all these sort of flamboyant, crazy things, which then everybody, you know, your your left of center or even centrist people go at, look at it and like, I don't want to vote Republican. I don't want to be associated with these people, even though I think personally a solution is to stop focusing on those social issues. Let's let's stop being anti-gay. Let's stop being anti-sex. Just le- let people live their lives and focus on small government. Focus on low taxes. Focus on individual liberty. Mm-hmm. That that I think is is the winning combination for or- for Republicans in in general, but specifically in Oregon. Well, and especially if you look at the what what the problems are facing people in Oregon and what what your average middle of the road voter in Oregon cares about 
they're most of them aren't terribly worked up about gay issues most of them mm-hmm. aren't terribly worked up about sex issues and and all that other stuff uh, they're worried about making their mortgage payment they're worried about the quality of their schools they're worried about traffic you know they're worried about the homeless guy sleeping on the street out in front of the Mm -hmm. shop they go to after work so they're worried about that stuff and that's where that really should drive where the focus of the party is is how do republican and conservative principles address those problems and um and i do think that that whatever one thinks about president trump i think he 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 is focused on stuff that doesn't really matter to most Oregonians. The base, mm-hmm. yes, the base here is like the base everywhere. They care about immigration. They care about guns. They care about, and I care about some of these things too. But the um, his focus is just not in line with what we deal with out here, and that's why partially why Republican performance here is cratered uh, since he became president. So it's just, it's a matter of focus. And, um, you know, I tend to agree with what you're saying that it should be focused on those kind of nuts and bolts, uh, economic issues where we can, we can help improve people's lives. Yeah. The other point I was trying, I was going (laughs) to thinking about making, but I'll go ahead and make it. (laughs) It's the beauty of podcasts. (laughs) We can come back to stuff. (laughs) Multnomah County just released their biannual homelessness report and homelessness has gone up to 20% in Multnomah County in, in the last two years or whatever. This is the bluest county in blue Oregon with incredibly high taxes and incredibly invasive government and homelessness is increasing and not just by a little bit. 20% is a huge increase. So I, ju- I don't understand how people can't make the connection of liberal policies who, despite trying to be everything for everyone, do not help the poorest of the poor, the but people who need help the most are worse off under Democrat leadership. I don't understand how people don't see that, but yeah, and I, I think the Republicans bear some of the responsibility for that for people not seeing it mm. um, because I think that we've traditionally been not terribly interested in talking about those issues. Um, Homelessness has always been something that Democrats focus on more than Republicans, I think, until recently. And I thought one of the best things that Newt did during his campaign uh, last year was focus on homelessness. I do think that that's um, – I mean it's it's a growing humanitarian crisis in Portland. Mm-hmm. It's becoming a humanitarian crisis here. Hmm. I mean we have homeless people here. It's becoming more and more of a problem even in Bend. And the other places throughout the state. So it's it's an increasingly prob- big problem for Oregonians. And you're right that the Democrats haven't been able to fix it. And I would argue that they don't even agree that it should be fixed, right? Mm-hmm. So you see the way that the city of Portland talks about this stuff. And it's as though it becomes a rights issue for the, the homeless folks. And of course, their rights are part of the part of the equation. But I think that what Republicans can bring to it is that the rest of us have have rights too, yeah. and uh, including property rights, and including the rights of the public to make sure that publicly owned property is not made into into isn't squatted upon by yeah. uh, by homeless folks. And I think that those are just issues that most people, including a lot of people who vote in Portland and a lot of people in the Portland suburbs. Uh, a lot of we have a lot of friends. My wife and I have a lot of friends who live in the suburbs of Portland, 
and the one and they're all huge libs but they they complain about the homelessness issue they do they yeah. a lot of them won't go downtown especially with their kids um, because of the homelessness issue and and Republicans I think Newt started the ball rolling in the right direction and Republicans need to keep talking about that issue and keep talking about humane ways to solve that problem and I th- I think not only is it the right thing to do I think it will end up helping Republicans especially in those Portland suburbs yeah exactly so I'd be curious uh you said something a second ago that I would love to hear some more thoughts on you said if and when Republicans get back at the levers of power, and in my mind, it's an if or when. I don't think it's if and when, because it, there's there's one camp that says, well, eventually Oregon gets bad enough that they stop voting for these same people over and over. And, you know, that's Einstein, the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again. And there's another camp that thinks... You know, at some point, you you have to stop running dead fish. You can't keep running people who are, you know, kind of the nut jobs and, you know, whatever, because there's no real candidates with real profiles that are similar to Tom and Dick and Jane Oregonians' profiles. And we we know we're going to keep losing these races because we keep running sacrificial lambs, but there's just no pipeline and there's no bench to, to ever get somebody with real heft and a real issues base to to actually put his or her name forward is it if or is it when i think it's if i think it's definitely if i mean you you look at california and california mm-hmm. has been going down this road for longer and more severely than oregon has and i don't see any indication that they're backing off uh, they are continuing. So if we're talking about the flow of power and money, that the power and money keeps getting sucked into Sacramento at an increasing rate. And uh, I don't see any signs of that changing. And Oregon, I think, is headed down that same that same path. Does it have to? No. Oregon is demographically much different than California. Mm. It, it, Oregon has a much larger rural population there is more conservative kind of coherence in those in those rural areas. We don't have the same near anywhere near the same level of recent immigrants uh, as California. So there's there are demographic reasons why it it might happen here, even though it hasn't happened in California. Um, but uh, I would say that the the odds are um, are not not great until unless and until there's a very significant change to the underlying political mm-hmm. system and something serious happens where things really get shaken up. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, that's, I, I got, I'm an if guy rather than a when guy yeah. in that, in that particular situation. And I, I hope that I'm wrong. <laughs> like a, that's a, you know, I've only been here for four years, but it's just the, the last, the sessions that I've seen and some of the, so, you know, some of the history of the state is, is fantastic. And, you know, even governors in eighties, nineties, early aughts, like it, R's and D's were, they, I don't think they were necessarily bad folks. 2010, we had a split state legislature, 30, 30. And now all of a sudden it's, you know, you, you get some of these policies, some of this overreach that it's just, Somebody who's not particularly, you know, doesn't listen for some reason. I don't know why you wouldn't listen to our podcast. We're amazing. <laughs> but for the people who don't tune into podcasts and radio shows and get their politics 
those people are going to start to see like it's so bad your taxes are so high the problems that the politicians said they were going to fix the homelessness the mm-hmm. roads the tra- mm-hmm. everything is is mm-hmm. is worse is not mm-hmm. better but we still vote for the same people mm-hmm. and that's uh, you know you need somebody to vote for rather than somebody to vote right. against and we just don't have anybody to vote for i mean i newt i think was a great person mm-hmm. to vote for mm-hmm. he didn't win that election but i volunteered for bud i think bud would have been a great person to vote for mm-hmm. there's a lot of state house candidates you know in the portland area we we did walks with justin wang i think he was a great guy mm-hmm. to vote for mm-hmm. julie Parrish is very polarizing i think she's got a lot of ideas and she's a person to vote for mm-hmm. and i you know we just we need more of that i think we do and i think that it's just, it's especially difficult right now where everyone, all politics right now is viewed through the prism of Donald Trump mm-hmm. on both sides. Yeah. So Republican base voters view candidates in large measure on, based on how, what they say about Donald Trump. And if you say something critical of Donald Trump, they get mad at you. It, Democrats definitely see politics through the prism of Donald Trump. An orange-colored prism. Orange-colored glasses. And that's actually a good corollary to what I think that uh, conservatives should be doing with the, the timber unity thing is that Democrats have done a fantastic job of taking that anti-Trump energy, which is just at a fever pitch still, mm-hmm. and focusing it on running for school board. I mean, they, I have seen here in Bend the level of organization and funding for local candidates on the Democrat side here is five times what it was even five, six years ago. And it's because they're so mad about Trump, but somehow someone's gotten that through to them that, okay, there's nothing we can do about Trump until we can vote him out in, you know, 2020. But in the meantime, here's what you can do. We need more Democrats to serve on the school board, the city council, blah, blah, blah. And so their, their candidate recruitment is through the roof. Mm-hmm. Their, um, just the energy and the coordination and everything else is through the roof. And they're being energized by this thing happening in Washington, DC, but they're, dri- they've driven it down to the local levels mm-hmm. very effectively. And that's the same thing that should be happening in Oregon because of this, what the Democrats tried to do with cap and trade. Um, I think. Well, that's that's one of the reasons that I believe in the ORP and even the county parties to a lesser extent is I think they have the ability to be the face of the party. I mean, they're supposed to be the face of the party and can, if done properly, can drive some of that. And anyway, why I choose to stay involved in yep. the in the party rather than just say, ah, oh, this this is not worth my time. Uh, so anyway, we're about running out of time. So we like to ask our our guests, who is your who's your favorite Republican? And I'm going to pick a dead Republican. That's fine. Um, Abraham Lincoln. Sure. Um, I'm sure that's the OG. (laughs) The uh, that's maybe the easy way out. But he um, have you guys read George Will's new book yet by chance? I actually haven't. No. No. Check it out. Really good. Uh, Anyone who is a Republican or conservative and or has thought about voting Republican or is a conservative should should read it. But uh, he goes into quite a bit of detail about how, you know, kind of the founding and then um, and then how Lincoln was the custodian of the founding principles through this crisis of uh, secession and the Civil War. And just Lincoln's uh, the degree of political and moral conviction that guy had in the most difficult situation 
you can imagine mm-hmm. uh, politically. I mean, your country is literally falling apart what, because because you got elected president, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 keeping those convictions and seeing through and if the 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 founding principles of of liberty and equality through those difficult times and expanding them to reach who they should have reached originally, which is African Americans, mm-hmm. and expanding the reach of liberty and equality, and winning a war while he was doing it. And he was just a brilliant writer, brilliant guy. Awesome. Great answer. We tend to vilify people who are good writers in the Republican Party in 2019. Yeah, that's a novel concept. What a somebody who can think and write and put pen to paper. Right, exactly. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for being on the on the podcast and giving us a half an hour of your time or 45 minutes. And listeners, we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to The Rational Republican. Please like and subscribe on your favorite podcasting service, or you can listen on our website, jamesaball.com. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media, and if you're feeling extra generous, you can visit our Patreon site at patreon.com slash rationalrepublican. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.